Thanks for joining us here in Centralia, Illinois, where we are a community of people who are not perfect and don't pretend to be. Our hope and prayer is that through the following message, you are encouraged, blessed, and inspired to meet the Lord in a powerful way. Well, I hope you were ready for church today. If not, get ready. I believe that the victory is around the corner, folks. I believe that there's many of you here that your faith is a very weak faith, but it is every week it is getting stronger. Your faith muscles are getting bigger. And God is going to show himself strong. On your behalf. There's a myth out there, and it goes something like this God only wants your money. And I'm here to tell you that's just not true. God wants it all. God wants your heart, God wants your mind, God wants your body. And God wants your soul, the very existence of who you are, that which is going to exist for all eternity. That's what God wants. That's why he sent his son to die on a cross. But wait, I'm preaching a a, a series on giving. I thought God only wanted 10%. The 10% is what opens up the, the key to the blessings that God can pour out in our lives. But make no mistake about it. God wants every fiber of you. He's not satisfied with anything less. Matter of fact, you hear this over and over again in Scripture, and this is what God said to the children of Israel was his greatest desire, and that was for me to be your God and for you to be my people. That hasn't changed, Crossroads Church. God wants Crossroads Church to call him their God, And he wants Crossroads Church to say that we are his people. In Matthew chapter 6, we we know that scripture. I've been reading it to you each week. It's on the card, and it says this. For where your treasure is there, will your heart be also. God wants our hearts. Today, as I continue the series, I believe I want to share with you the concept of having a scarcity mindset versus an abundance mindset. The very first message I preached here in this worship center was this topic of scarcity versus abundance, and I didn't talk about giving at all in anywhere in that message. Because the reality is this, that our heart, where our money is, where our wallet is, that's, that's what's hidden and, and that's what a lot of people never see. But it doesn't have anything to do with money to have a scarcity mindset. And, so, and it doesn't have to have anything to do with money to have an abundance mindset. But the reality that we find out is money reveals who we really are. Have you ever heard that person that says money doesn't make you happy? Have you been that person that says, you know what, I'd like to find out myself? I'm volunteering. (laughs) 
Having or not having money isn't what creates a scarcity mindset. Having or not having money isn't what creates an abundant mindset. It's a mindset. When you change the way you think, you'll start changing the way you behave. And so I want to share with you, there's three types of giving that is practiced in the church. And I would argue that all of us fall into one of these three. And the first type of giving is called bag giving. This is zero-sum giving. That means that at the end of the month, there's, the money runs out. I lived that life many years. Zero-sum. I had X amount that got deposited, and then I usually spent it in the first three weeks of the month. The Bible tells us in Haggai verse one, chapter 1, verse 6, it says you eat, but you don't have enough. Anyone had one of those weeks except for Thanksgiving? <laughs> you drink, but you're not filled with drink. You clothe yourselves, but no one is warm. And he who earns wages earns wages to put into a bag with holes. I think that most of us go through our lives putting our money in a bag with holes. Because we eat and we don't get enough. We drink and it's not quite fulfilling. We clothe ourselves with the, the latest fashions and yet it doesn't keep us warm. Most Americans live this way. They can't get ahead. They're always struggling. And you realize that America is one of the most wealthy nations on the planet Earth. The poorest in America are rich in many other countries. They say things like this, I wish I could give more, but I can't afford to. I've got student loans to pay. I've got a car to pay. I've got a house to pay. I've got bills. I'd love to tithe, but there's not enough in the bag. Let me share a couple of verses with you. Luke 15 and verse 13 says these words. And not many days later, the younger son gathered everything together. This younger son is one that we call the prodigal son. This younger son went to his father and said, give me everything that I have coming to me. And instead of beating him like he should have, that father gave him. happened. And he said, I will say to my soul, soul, you have many goods laid up for many years to come. Take your ease, eat, drink, and be merry. That's what he said to himself. But then this is what God said to this man. You fool, this very night, your soul is required of you. 
And now who will own what you have prepared? I told you at the very beginning as I started is that God isn't, he doesn't just want your money. He wants everything. He wants your soul. He wants you to spend an eternity with him. And we get stuck on money. We get stuck on having things that we want that we won't miss when they're gone. You see, when we have the bag mindset, there's never enough. The second type of mindset we can have is an abundance mindset, and there's two types of giving that go along with an abundant mindset. And the first type of giving is basket giving. I don't know. There's some of you in here that have experienced basket giving. Some people believe that what you keep is all you have and what you give, God multiplies, and you've seen that happen in your life time and time again. You sacrificed to help somebody and you saw God bless you. Matthew 14 and verses 13 through 20, I'll read to you right now. It says, now when Jesus heard this, he withdrew there in a boat to a desolate place by himself. When the crowds heard it, they followed him on foot from the towns. You can just imagine this. The boat is a couple hundred yards off and, and they're going this way and the people are just falling along on the land. And not just a couple of people, but a large number of people. And eventually they come back to the shore and it says in verse 14, when he went ashore, he saw a great crowd and he had compassion on them and healed their sick. Isn't that amazing about Jesus? Here, the, this group chased him down and he immediately began to love on them. He met them right where they were at. He started healing their sick. Now, when it was evening... The disciples came to him and said, this is a desert place and the, the day is now over. Send the crowds away go, to go into the village and buy food for themselves. But Jesus said, they need not go away. You give them something to eat. Church, I believe that that is the message that he is telling Crossroads Church. Centralia and the greater Centralia area needs something and you go give it to them. And they said to him, we only have five loaves here and two fish. And he said, bring them here to me. And then he ordered the crowds to sit down on the grass and taking the five loaves and two fish, he looked up to heaven and said a blessing. Then he broke the loaves and gave them to the disciples and the disciples gave them to the crowds. And when they all ate and were satisfied, they took up 12 basketfuls of the broken pieces left over. That's basket giving. It's when you... You give what you have, God gives more in return. It doesn't make sense, but you know what? In God's economy, it never does. It just works. What if the boy or the disciple said, this isn't enough and just kept it to themselves? We wouldn't be reading about this story in all of the Gospels. What if... God has given you five loaves and two fishes, and he's asked you to give it, and we don't do that. We'll never hear the other side of the story that God is writing right now in our church. So there's bag giving, and bag giving believes that there's not enough. It's a zero-sum game. You're going to run out of it sooner or later. Enjoy it while you can. 
there's basket giving, and what you have is more than enough. And then the third type of giving is barn giving. In barn giving, there's way more than enough. Um, there are families in our church that have experienced barn giving. I believe that there's many here who have experienced the basket giving and over the next couple of weeks are going to enter into this barn giving and they're going to see God do something incredible that they never thought could possibly happen. Proverbs 3, verse 9 and 10 says these words, Honor the Lord with your wealth, with the first fruits of all your crops, then your barns will be filled to overflowing. The reality is this, that God wants to be first in our lives. That is why he has required the tithe of us, not that he needs it, but it demonstrates that we trust him, that we believe in him, that we know that he can do more with the 90% than we can with the 100%. But it's easier said than done. So much so that only 3 to 7% of Christ followers actually practice that type of giving. But here's what happens when you enjoy barn giving. What you use, when you use what God gives you, he gives you more. Now, here is an interesting thought, and that is, so am I supposed to come and, and put money in an offering plate and expect God to return that money multiple fold? I don't know. I don't know where you're at. I've seen God do that in my life. And I've seen it where he never came back to me in a financial way, but I know there were other blessings. There were blessings of health. There were blessings of cars that just didn't break down for years. That should have. Let me share with you a story in the Bible about a church who experienced this type of giving. 2 Corinthians chapter 8 and verse 1, I'll begin to read. Paul writes, he says, we want you to know, brothers, about the grace of God that has been given among the churches of Macedonia. For in a severe test of affliction, the abundance of joy and their extreme poverty have overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. You remember last week I told you I believe in generosity. Generosity is, is not how much Matter of fact, I said last week that it's not the size of the gift that makes it generous. It, a generous gift exceeds what is expected. It exceeds what is affordable and it exceeds what is needed. Here, this church in Macedonia experienced giving in a generous way. It's in verse 3, it says, For they gave according to their means, as I can testify. And beyond their means of their own accord. Verse 4. Begging us. Begging us earnestly for the favor of taking part in the relief of the saints. And this, not as we expected, but they gave themselves first to the Lord and then by the will of God to us. In verse 6. Accordingly, we urge Titus that as he had started, so he should complete among you this act of grace. But as you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, 
in all earnestness and in our love for you, see that you excel in this act of grace also. What act of grace was it that the church of Macedonia excelled at? It was the act of grace of giving. Not only did they give, but they gave far beyond their means and they gave when they were being, let me use the words that the scripture used, in a severe test of affliction. I am confident that right now in our church, there is a severe test of affliction going on in many of your lives. And that test of affliction can distract us from what God is doing. It can get us distracted and, and, and make us concentrate on us and forget about them. If you are a Christ follower, if you have claimed the name of Jesus, your eternity is secure. No matter what you gain on this earth, your eternity is secure. No matter what severe test of affliction you go through, your eternity is secure. But who needs your help? Who needs you to stand up? It's your neighbors. It's a friend. It's a relative. In this case, for the church in Macedonia, it was the church in Jerusalem. The church in Jerusalem was being persecuted. It was being destroyed. And here this church, a couple hundred miles away, begged to be a part of helping these believers. The story doesn't stop there. In the next chapter in 2 Corinthians 9, verses 1 through 14, I want to read those to you as well. It says, Now it is superfluous for me to write to you about the ministry for the saints. What Paul's saying is, it's kind of crazy for me to even talk about this because you all are doing such a good job. This is the second book of Corinthians. The first book of Corinthians was a, a bunch of Christians who had gotten mired down in living in the world. And here in the second book of Corinthians, he is praising them for overcoming that. Verse number two, for I know your readiness of which I boast about you. I have been boasting about you all, church. For the last five weeks, I have been sharing with people that I believe next Sunday on March 6th that we're going to take up an offering and that offering will exceed $50,000. Now, I just want to be honest with you. Uh, there's been many people who heard me say that number out loud and they're like, Ronnie, now you need to, to simmer down a bit. You need to manage your expectations. You know, God may do a good thing, but, you know, it may not be 50,000. Folks, my faith is way beyond 50,000. Well, let me just read the, the rest of this to you. I boast about you to the people of Macedonia, saying that Achaia has been ready since last year, and your zeal has stirred up most of them. But I am sending the brothers so that our boasting about you may not prove empty in this matter. Next week, we'll find out if my boasting is empty. So that you may be ready, as I said that you would be. Otherwise, if some Macedonians come with me and find that you are not ready, we would be humiliated. Folks, I've, I've been humiliated before in my life. To say nothing of you for being so confident. Verse 5. So I thought it necessary to urge the brothers to go on ahead and arrange in advance for you the gift you have promised. So that you may be ready as a willing gift, not as an exaction. For the last three weeks, I've been helping you get prepared for March 6th. Many of you have reached that scared level. That is a good place to be right now. 
That is where sacrificial gifts come from. Not from our abundance, but really from our inabilities. Verse 6, 2 Corinthians 9. The point is this. Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. And whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. I got to be honest with you. I've never met a farmer that had a bag mindset. They, they never put the, the, the kernels of corn out one at a time, wondering, oh my goodness, I've only got a hundred more left in here. If they had a hundred more left in here, where would they put them? In the ground. Why? Because they know what those hundred would turn into. You see, it's not the size of the gift that makes it extravagant. It's not the size that determines if it's sparingly or bountifully. I remember when I was over in Afghanistan, um, one of the projects that I was working on was getting uh, internet to our small compound. And there was this one building that was about 100 yards away from everything else. And we were running, needed to run Cat5 cabling to them. Um, we had third country nationals that would be part. They would come on to the, the camp each week and, and, and there were jobs that we would give them. And, and so I talked to the right guy and, and I had it so that these guys dug the trench for this Cat5 cable. When they got done digging the trench at the, I mean, they were sweating. They, I mean, they had done an incredible job. And one of the gifts that had been sent to me, uh, my family knows that I love uh, gummy bears and they sent me a five-pound bag of gummy bears. That's the proper way to say it, folks. <laughs> they gave me a five-pound bag of gummy bears. And, and so I went out, and there was 20 of these um, Afghans there, and I gave them my five-pound bag of gummies. They went home that day. They came back. There was another project. I needed another trench dug, and, and they dug that. And when they got finished, I came out with another five-pound bag of gummies. And as I walked up to them, the, uh, most of them turned their back on me. And one guy, you know, he just he said, no, thank you, no, thank you. And I pulled him aside. I go, what's the problem? And um, I forgot, but uh, gummies are made with something that makes you go to the bathroom. And if you eat five pounds of them or anywhere near that amount, it has, especially if you've never had them before in your life, and these Afghans had never experienced these before. And, and, and this Afghan relayed to me through my interpreter that they all had spent the night running back and forth to the bathroom. And I could keep my five pounds of gummy bears. I don't know what that has to do with cheerful giving. <laughs> or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to make all grace abound to you so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. As it is written, he is distributed freely. He has given to the poor. His righteousness endures forever. He who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. 
That's a double promise, folks. Not only will you receive a, um, I'm going to call it a financial blessing because I don't think many of you are sowing seeds right now. You're not living in that agrarian economy. And so your seeds look a little different. But not only will you see a response in that, but you'll also see a harvest of your righteousness. You're going to see that there were people that you have been praying for. There are people that have been watching you and you didn't know about it. And they are going to come to a knowledge of Jesus Christ because of what you are going to do. Because of what the church in Corinth did. I believe that verse 11 is written straight to Crossroads Church, that you will be enriched in every way to be generous in every way, and which through us will produce thanksgiving to God. Who's going to be given the thanks? Those are neighbors those in the greater Centralia area. For the ministry of this service is not only supplying the needs of the saints, but it is also overflowing in many thanksgivings to God. Verse 13, by their approval of this service, they will glorify God because of your submission that comes from two things. One, your confession of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Folks, we are a church that stands first and foremost on the gospel. If it weren't for the gospel, there's no need for any churches. And secondly, the generosity of your contribution. You heard me say it last week. I want Crossroads Church to be known as the most generous church within 25 miles of here. Why? Because it's that generosity and that, that spirit that's going to allow us to continue. To not just feed 717 meals on Christmas Day, but to make that 2,000 or 3,000. To not just build 50 beds, but to put hundreds of beds into homes of those children that need beds to sleep on. To have a benevolent ministry that can, to the tune of $10,000 a year, be able to help people. But folks, we can't do those things if we're not generous, if we're not a generous church. So I'll close with this. There's four questions that we all have to answer today. And we answer them every Sunday when we come to church. And the first question that we answer is this, am I going to give? Most people that are asking this question still have the bag mindset. Many of you have never tied the next Sunday, maybe the first time ever, that you look back at your bank account, you look at everything that has been added in the last 30 days, and you write a check for 10% of that amount. Am I going to give? The second question is this, can I give more? This is the basket mindset. This is the mindset that there's already more than enough. Sometimes it doesn't look that way. And here's what I would encourage you. Many of you have uh, wrote down a number, and I would encourage you to put a zero at the end of that. Many of you have wrote down numbers in, in very little faith, and I encourage you to go to the next level. Matter of fact, if you pull out the cards that are in the seat back in front of you, the I Believe cards, I think that all of us should be looking along here and seeing where, where does God want us to give? What is it that he wants us to? You know, and someone may convince themselves, you know what, I, I think that I can support community breakfast for one week, $100. I challenge you, take it to the next level. Move down to grief share curriculum. And I've told you this a couple of times, and I'll say it one more time. This is not a pledge card. The number you write on here is strictly for you. 
It is for your faith. It is for you to write that number down, to put it in your Bible, and then months or years later, you're going to open that up and you're going to look back and, and see that number and see the blessings that God poured into your life because of that. Some of you are just going to put it in your Bible. And you're going to start hearing about the blessings that have happened to those that took God up at his word, to those that went beyond the fear that's been holding them back. And you're going to wonder what could have been in your life. So the second question is, can I give more? The third question that we have to answer is, how can I increase my giving? This is the barn mindset. You see, giving is more than money. When we give our first fruits, I, I, I used to do this in the military. I tithed on the money that I wanted to make. I tithed on the promotion that was next in line for me. Now, do I think I got promoted because of that? Yes, I do. Uh, I went as high as possible and went very fast. God's blessing was upon me. And I think it was because I took him up at his word. I don't know that he's going to do that for you or how he's going to work in your life. But we, those that are already giving, you get to answer the question, how can I increase my giving? Worship team, if you'll come forward. The last question that we have to answer is this. Will I give a one-time sacrificial gift? Maybe a better way to answer the question is this. Am I willing to risk it all for the future of my church? See, I've been watching God work in your lives. I see what you look like the first day that you walked in the door, barely able to find a seat, barely able to say good morning to anybody else. And then I watched God do something miraculous in your life. And then I watched that bleed over into your friends and family. Church, I've been watching this. You've been seeing it. It's not an accident that we have 60 kids that run out of here over to Crossroads Kids Ministry every Sunday. One day, they'll be too big of a number to even let them in here on Sunday mornings. But until that day, we're going to enjoy letting them worship with us. If you would stand to your feet. You've probably figured it out that we like challenging you here at Crossroads Church. And the challenge is this. Will I give a one-time sacrificial gift? You don't have to nod your head. You don't have to say anything right now. You don't have to carry the card out with you on the way. Next week, we all answer the question. Next week, we all answer the question. I jokingly told you this uh, two weeks ago that there's good news and bad news. The good news is that God's got everything that we need. The bad news is that it's in your bank accounts. Next week, we get to trust God. And, and here's what I don't want you to miss. 
This isn't a one a, a chance for you that God has been working on your heart. This is a chance for you to be a part of something much bigger than all of us. You heard us talk about the word revival. Do, do you want to see a bigger revival than we experienced last spring? When we give God our hearts, that will happen. I don't know where we're going to put them, but that will happen. There are people that you are praying for, that you are brokenhearted for, that God will restore, that God will call back to him based on what we do or don't do. Church, I'm ready. I've been ready for a while. The battle belongs to God. It's not your fight. You don't have to solve the problem. You just got to get it to the guy that can solve your problem. He's your heavenly father. He cares about you. He loves you. He wants the best for you. The problem is that God wants the best for us and we settle for much less. Are you, are you tired of settling? Are you ready to see what it looks like to live an abundant mindset? Folks, most of you think this is all about money and it has nothing to do with money. This has to do with, are you willing to obey and trust God? It's crazy. We trust God enough to die for him, but yet we struggle trusting him enough to live. Dear Heavenly Father, I just come to you. And God, I ask that, that all of those that are still holding back in fear, Lord, that you would just give them the peace that passes understanding. God, many of us are going through tests right now. And God, I just praise you for the testimony that's on the other side. God, I ask that you would show yourself strong. Show yourself strong in the hearts of those that are here today. Show yourself strong next Sunday as we as a church demonstrate that we, we believe that Crossroads Church is here with a very specific purpose to reach our community, to reach those that are lost, to spread the gospel. God, I pray that we will be like the church of Macedonia, that even in the severe affliction that I see and I, I hear about in those in our church, God, that we will yet fight to be a part of seeing the ministry of the gospel proclaimed. Hear our hearts, Lord. Meet us right where we're at and where we need you. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. As a church, it's our honor to play a small part in all that God is doing in and through your life, and we would love to continue with you on that journey. You see, it's our mission to lead people to become fully devoted followers of Christ who walk by faith and not by sight. 